Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey and welcome to Serious Issues, a weekly comic book podcast brought to you by King's Comics in Sydney. My name is Levins, my co-host's name is Siobhan. Hi. And every week we read way too many comics and let you know which ones you should be reading too. Um, you can find every comic that we talk about at King's Comics at 310 Pitt Street in Sydney or online at kingscomics.com. This week was pathetic. Like Path- nothing. In the last few weeks we've been reading up to 40 issues of comics. This week, come on comics industry. 24 comics is all we, all we had to read this week. Child's Play. A piece of cake. That was easy. Uh, so, a, a, probably a shorter, shorter show this week? Maybe. We'll see how we go. <laughs> um, we've, only, we've only got three number ones to get through in our segment, First Things First, in which we review all of the number ones from the new issues, that's new series that started in the last week. And we kick things off with uh, something new from Image by uh, Mark Millar and Frank Quietly. This is the second series. I suppose, yeah. Jupiter's Legacy, number two, issue one. Uh, this is, I guess it's like Mark Miller's superhero opus. Yeah. He, he's very, very proud of this and he makes no, uh, you know, he d- doesn't try and hide how proud, proud he is of this book. Um, the greatest superhero epic of this generation is how he describes it. Oh, does he? <laughs> yeah. In the, which is a very Mark Millar thing to do about one of his own books. It really is. Um, so before we talk about this book, I just want to talk about our relationship with Mark Millar as a writer mm. in 2016, because I feel like before, like when the first series of Jupiter's Legacy was the beginning of what some are calling the Millarisance. Mm. For those who don't know, Mark Millar was like you know a very very touted um, superhero comic book writer about just just over. Just under ten years ago, yeah. Um, he wrote Old Man Logan. Um, he he did a lot of incredible stuff um, uh, with Wolverine. He had that great story where he gets killed by um, the hand and then brought back to life and kills his way through the Marvel universe. Um, I really enjoyed that when I when I, at the time when it was coming out. And uh, we've we've spoken in episodes before about how much we love his Superman stuff over at yeah. DC. Um, he wrote Superman Red Sun, which is still a great, great book. Still a classic. Um, and then uh, he started writing his own comics, his own creator own stuff. And most famously that, would, that includes Kick-Ass and Nemesis and all those other terrible, terrible, ultra violent. I mean, lots of people liked him. I liked Kick-Ass the first series when it first started. Like I, I picked up the trade after it, after it had been collected and I thought it was really, really fun. 
Um, and uh, I kind of liked the movie the first time too. But then revisiting Kick-Ass, you're like, oh my God, why did I like this? Yeah. I really liked the movie at the time, but I haven't rewatched it in a while. And I didn't especially like the comic. The sequel was so bad. The too. sequel was so bad. Um, and the Hit Girl miniseries was no good either. Um, I didn't even touch the third Kick-Ass series. Yeah, me neither. Didn't even look at it. And... Um, Likely, um, I have not read a lot of the uh, stuff that have, that, that have been put out by um, Mark's, Mark Millar's uh, own imprint um, around the time of, uh, of Kick-Ass coming out. Mm. Then, what does that include? Like Nemesis and... Um, oh, there was like another one that was like Nemesis, but I can't think of what it was called. And then there was the one that got, that got turned into a movie year before last with um, Sam oh, Jackson. Kingsman. Kingsman. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie was fun. Like, again, all these movies and, and books that he wrote, like they're not... Terrible, but they are just like these, you know, teenage boy fantasy. Yeah, and I think he like he can come up with a great concept, but as a writer himself, he sort of he really started falling back on like just really gratuitous violence and sex and really horrible, like really just horrible stuff that I was like, I really, I don't, I don't want or need to be reading this. Like, I don't need another book about how awful all human beings are and for rape and all kinds of terrible stuff. And, yeah, and while yeah. he was putting those books out, he was basically touting himself as the best comic book writer of all time, as he yeah. always has. Um, but he put out Jupiter's Legacy through Image, um, and it was the start of him releasing quite a few miniseries um, with Image. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've enjoyed quite a few of those um, books. Um, I guess the top of that list would be Starlight with yep. um, Golan Parlov. Um, and... Uh, and we've also enjoyed Huck. Mm-hmm. Um, there've been a few more, but uh, Jupiter's Legacy with Frank Quietly was a um, a bit of a hard to grasp kind of um, almost like a post Watchmen style story about the end of superheroes um, in a world of superheroes uh, that was kind of hard to grasp as in the first few issues. It was beautiful to look at, of course, because Frank Quietly Absolutely. was on art. But um, and uh, it also like I when I first started Jupiter's Legacy, I really really wanted it wanted to like it because I love Frank Quietly so much. Um, but it just already, it seemed very, and I've, I've said before, and I'll say it again, that I've yet to see Mark Millar write a really spot on female character. And it seemed like the sort of lead female character in this series, Chloe was going to be yet another, like, strung out whore in some capacity, you know, like. <laughs> sure. Um, and he definitely, I, I feel like he may have successfully transcended that in the first. Well, I really enjoyed this issue. Yeah. Um, so did you read the, the, the first run of Jupiter's Legacy? No, and so I was very confused, but I still enjoyed this. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I think this is because le- le- recently we've been reading ne- um, uh, Nemesis. Not Nemesis, sorry. What's, what the hell is the one called? Empress. Oh, yeah. Empress that he's putting out through uh, Marvel's Icon imprint with um, Stuart Eminem on art. Mm-hmm. And we've been, as if you've been listening to the last few issues, we've been quite disappointed by that mm-hmm. in that it's not bad. It's just not interesting at all, particularly his depiction of the female characters yeah, in that absolutely. book. Yeah, absolutely. But this... Um, this does so much with these characters in 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 such a short you know such such a short amount of, of pages. Yeah, uh, it's got a massive amount of world to explain. So in this, in Jupiter's Legacy one, basically the uh, the children of the first run of like the golden age heroes of this universe mm-hmm. uh, rebelled against. Most of these children rebelled against their parents and killed the superheroes. Except there are still a few of these of this younger generation of superheroes who are now trying to unite all of the supervillains so they can then uh, get back to these get back at these superheroes who killed their parents. Fun, more or less. Um, and so this first issue acts as like almost like getting the team together, and we meet all kinds of different supervillains as they are introduced to our heroes, mm-hmm. um, and uh, 
tr- you know they're, they're trying to basically you know get the band together. Um, we we see all kinds of new different powers and allows Frank quietly to show off. Some oh, incredible, he's just so amazing. Uh, like there's a couple, like there's a couple of um, there's a sequence where he sort of breaks through the panels during a fight scene um, on this page. Yes, and it's just amazing. Like just um, so much movement. Yeah, he's, he's just one of. He's the, the best. Uh, of that as far as that that panel breaking kind of stuff goes. No one does it better than Frank Quietly. Like I mean, yeah. Just thinking back to like how it happened in uh, We Three, mm-hmm. which yeah. I just think is some of the best art that he's ever done. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I mean, this has got me very, very excited for this series. I have not read um, the uh, Jupiter's Legacy, um, the the prequel books that have been coming out. Yeah, they're called Jupiter's either. Children or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I got both of those trades when this came out, so I'm going to catch up on the, those in the next week, and, and hopefully that'll you know expand on this universe in a, in a good way. Uh, I'm on board with this series for sure. I mean, yeah, I'm, me I, too. I, I really enjoyed the the first. The first series, but this is just uh, taking it to a new level. I think. I think he really understands the world that he's he's you know trying to tell a story in a lot better this time around. Yeah, and I'm I think I'm now going to have to go back and read the first series. So you've you've trapped me, Mark Millar. <laughs> the Millarisance continues. It was good because after Empress was a bit disappointing. I was like, oh no, is this going to be disappointing too? Because again, you know, working with Imminent, of course, the art's going to be great. Yeah. In the same way that working with Quietly, of course, the art's going to be great. But I think uh, yeah, this is maybe this really could be. The greatest superhero epic of this generation. He's wo- just—he's a very be. humble, he, modest man. I wish he wouldn't do that shit. Yeah, same. Um, yeah, I loved. I loved. There were so many. Like you know, he does so much with this story, just in these. You know, in these twenty-four pages. That yeah, absolutely. You get so much character so immediately. You get so. Yeah. Yeah, and, and if you haven't read the first one, I feel like you you could probably get enough out of this issue without having read that first trade. Yeah, absolutely. That, Im- images, image first trades are always quite cheap, so you can always pick them up for less than 20 bucks. Yeah, for sure. But well, it, um, uh, this is quite a good jumping on point, I would say. Easy. All right, so uh, we've got two more first issues to get through, um, and they are definitely two books that we would not normally read where we're mm. not running the greatest uh, comic book <laughs> podcast of our generation. Um, of any generation. <laughs> uh, so the first one um, I want to talk about is that through Dark Horse. It's by Van Jensen with art by Pete Woods. It's called Cryptocracy. And uh, this is a confusing book to describe. It is about uh, the secret families who, who run the world, um, secret societies and um, the different uh, extraterrestrial and weird scientific breakthroughs that they use to control the world. Uh, and it starts out cr- pretty strongly. You see like a government cover-up mm-hmm. that is being orchestrated by these this you know these one of one of the families and then it i kind of just kind of goes off the rails pretty quick with like a talking bear and an alien yeah and, uh, it has some like semi-successful attempts at humor but the story is just doing trying to do so much in this one issue i'm not sure if this is a limited series or an ongoing uh, there's, there's so much in this there's like alien monsters hidden inside cans of energy drink and there's like a sec- secret rich person sex club and there's like all and i just have no i have no idea what's going on yeah it was so confusing it was so confusing i found it really hard to read uh and then it ends after giving us so much completely insane shit uh throughout the um throughout the book you then get given like a really really weak cliffhanger at the end yeah. where it's just like okay i don't really care but I, I i it almost is like a like works as a one-shot more than the beginning to a series because it kind of wraps up a lot of the threads that it introduces. Mm. Yeah. Um, not for me. Yeah, not for me. Not for me at all. Very, yeah, just confusing. Cool. Cryptocracy <laughs> number one. Could be for you. That's fine. Not for us. Hillbilly number one by Eric Powell. 
um, Eric Powell, most famous for The Goon over at Dark Horse. And um, he, he's done a little, little was it, big man plans at Image last year. Um, this is... Oh, and that Chimichanga, the little girl with the beard. Cool. That was good. Uh, so Eric Powell, of course, he's... he's most famous for yeah the, the, the goon and circus freak kind of uh, comic books I guess is it was like how you would that's definitely always it. his vibe something there's something always a little bit sort of like a horrible fairy tale about uh, his stuff and hillbilly number one is his new book and it comes out through albatross funny books hmm. which I'm just gonna go out on a limb and guess that that's Eric Powell's own imprint <laughs> I think it might be um, I've never heard of them before yeah I mean the other things out through it are a Eric Powell coloring book hmm. um, and uh, featuring art for demented children or adults with stress-related disorders. Um, and then another another book coming out called SSB2. So, oh, yeah. That's... um, What does that actually stand for? It's some kind of Super devil Smash baby. Super Brothers? <laughs> <laughs> Satan's Something, Sodomy Baby. Oh, I hope not. That's what it's called. <laughs> but Sodomy's been scribbled out. There you go. Um, so, Hillbilly is not as stressful as that. <laughs> no, I was, I was very pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed this. This is a sweet little tale about a um, uh, a young boy who has a very actually he, he, Eric Powell is a very gifted artist who is terrible at drawing children's faces <laughs> because he's basically drawn these little people with faces of fifty year old men. Yeah, everyone just looks like a slightly shrunk down regular human. But the art throughout the rest of the book is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's basically about um, the story of a, of a young boy who gets captured by a witch. And um, is saved by a hillbilly character, um, and we learn the back the backstory of this hillbilly character. It's tragic. There's um, witchcraft, and um, so you know it's it's a real bummer, but mm. but a weird told in a weirdly hopeful way. Yeah, it feels like a sort of it feels very like Grimm's fairy tales to me, and I hope that every issue is a little bit kind of self contained like this, just with you know an individual witch killing in each one. I'd be into yes, that because I, I like that, but not the uh, the the sexy Grimm fan, Grimm's uh, fairy tales. Yes, comics. not. <laughs> They come out through Xenoscope. Nothing like that. The originals, not the ones with tits. <laughs> so, yeah, if, you're, if you've been a fan of anything Eric Powell has done in the past, I think this is right up your alley. Obviously, you know what you're getting yourself into when you read an Eric Powell book. Mm-hmm. Um, this is nowhere near as uh, grim as some of his stuff that he's put out through Image in the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, that there, is a, there is a sadness here. But, again, it's told through the eyes of a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, nice and hopeful. And there's a big talking bear thing. Oh, yeah, talking bear things. Reveal at the end. Hmm. Spoiler alert. Oh, yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> cool. So that is First Things First, where we review the uh, number ones of all easy. the new series coming out. Super easy. Nice and easy. Like I said, this week, a piece of cake. Just chilled out, guys. Um, we're going to move from number one to number two. The big number two that came out <laughs> this week was Captain America, Steve Rogers, number number two. Um, of course, the Nick Spencer follow-up to the most controversial comic book of our generation. <laughs> Uh, Captain America number one, in which we learn that uh, Steve Rogers a Nazi. has been a Hydra spy this whole time. Whole time. And, uh, of course, the internet uh, simultaneously wet shit and vomited their pants uh, <laughs> upon reading that final uh, final comment and just basically, you know, regret, like just spewed hatred towards Nick Spencer as, mm-hmm. as much as they could, um, saying that he was, you know, tarnishing a, a Jewish legacy with yeah. his Nazi beliefs. Just very... Very an odd reaction. Just oh, just so unlike the comic book community. Yeah, usually everyone's really willing to like just see how things go and give people the benefit of the doubt. So in this, um, we immediately get told the this this the story um, that, that we've seen thus far. So this is, this pretty much kind of ties in everything that's happened to Captain America um, 
since the beginning of Nick Spencer's Sam Wilson run, mm-hmm. and uh, you see all of the events of Standoff told from a different point of view, and that point of view is none other than Red Skull. And it turns out he's orchestrated all of this to happen. What? Using his beloved Cosmic Cube. Um, and, uh, of course, the Cosmic Cube once belonged to Red Skull. Um, he's grown tired of uh, using... Xavier's brain to control humanity. It's he not just, as satisfying. No, which I lo- and I love that. I love. Yeah, I know. Right? I love a, a, a criminal undoing all of their plans because it's yeah, it's not satisfying on the level that they that they got into this for. He he, he wants nothing more than to bring um, Steve Rogers' entire world down, and that's exactly what he's doing in this book, where he's using the um, cubic the um, the cosmic cube girl mm-hmm. to basically alter Steve Rogers' reality. And make him the ultimate Hydra spy. I loved this issue. Dude, I, have I to thought say. it was so good. Like, a like such a such a good sinister Red Skull, like a really fun version of that character. Definitely. I think that the plan, like I like that, you know, having read Pleasant Hill and having read the Nick Spencer run, it feels like this is something that he has actually been planning for oh, a long time. Yeah. And it um it's it's a very it's a very satisfying explanation of what's happened. Um. And I love it. I thought it was really good. And it's only made better because of the stupid controversy. I know. Like, for, for as ridiculous as it was, like, this, he must have such a shit-eating grin. Yeah. Reading people go like, oh. I mean, people are still being complete assholes about it. The, but- the, the, the argument that I've heard most, and which I find, I find very, very confusing, is people going, oh, well, it was, just, it was just for shock value. Well, like, yeah, of course it was for shock value. It's a, it's a comic book. Like... And it, it made you interested in it and it made people who hadn't read a Captain America comic book in a really long time pick it up and think about it. So I feel like it's job well done. You did you did what you're supposed to in Expensive. Definitely. And I love like, I mean, often you read a comic where they just tell you everything and you're, you're like, oh, I wish they would show me that instead of telling. But mm. they, they absolutely just tell you the, you know, it's the perfect, you know, James Bond villain revealing his entire plot to James Bond. Yeah. That's what Red Skull does in this issue. But it, it's just such a satisfying read. Mm, yeah, really good. I think um, I'm excited to see how this all sort of ties up because it's been what a, what a fun ride. Yeah, I, and I just yeah, I, I think um, I think anyone that doubted that uh, that Nick Spencer could do something exciting and fun with Captain America. I mean, I, I enjoyed Rick Remender's run on Cap where he was mm. stuck in the crazy dimension. Um, with um, what's his name? With his son, John Romita Jr. On art, mm. that, I, I like that run, but it didn't really feel like a Captain America comic. And no. this one definitely feels like a worthy successor to um, to Ed Brubaker's Cap run. Absolutely, like I mean, it's hard to do something new with a character that's been around for as long as Captain America mm. and who has such a sort of distinctive. Yeah, identity. Um, that said, we have to. Uh, Rick Remender was the was was responsible for for taking the the soldier serum out of Cap in the first place, making him old, and 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 making Falcon Cap too. So that that's all Remender's doing. So mm. I mean, yeah, the, the, the Cap books have actually been really fun. Yeah. consistently over the years. Yeah, I agree. There's been some um, good, and, and good looks like it. it looks like it's going to continue. So uh, yeah, on board. Well done, Nick Spencer. Yeah, you well really done. you really showed those idiots on the internet mm. what's what. <laughs> Now, Not be- that any of them will admit it. <laughs> so before we um, review the next comic, I just want to read a little email out from a listener oh, yeah. who got in touch with us through our Facebook account, which you can do by finding us online at facebook.com slash Serious Issues Podcast. Uh, this is from Merv. He says, hey guys, since you love disagreeing with your listeners, hey. I'm here to tell you I'm really, really enjoying Civil War 2, largely because I'm a huge Iron Man fan and I like that he's not the villain this time. Everyone's literally been taking a shit on Tony Stark. They 
I don't, literally. I don't know. <laughs> Find me one comic where someone literally takes a, a shit on Tony Stark. Uh, since 2007. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Um, uh, since 2007's first Civil War, you think he hasn't paid the price for that already? Then you should go and check out Matt Fraction's run. Everyone, everyone tries to take down Tony Stark down a notch all day, every day, in almost every comic he's in, it feels like. They love him in the movies, hate him in the comics. Then they did Superior Iron Man, and I feel like this is finally his redemption after years of being Marvel's necessary authoritarian. I mean, is he not the villain in Civil War 2? Yeah, because I hate him. <laughs> yeah, in, in I hate him. More. <laughs> <laughs> there was, yeah, he seems, like, he, seems, he seems like on the wrong team. Definitely. He's a team of one, and everyone disagrees with him, and he is still, like causing huge issues for no reason. I actually really liked Tony Stark in the um, in Matt Fraction's Iron Man run. Yeah, that's a brilliant run. I love that whole series. That excellent um, one of the first stories where he has to reboot his system mm-hmm. and in doing that will forget quite a few years yeah. of his life. And I think it's like a very redeeming arc yeah, um, I agree. after after Civil War. Um, but uh it's I I think part of the problem is the way he's being written as this like unrepentant arrogant bastard who refuses to see that occasionally his meddling in science makes things way worse for everyone sure yeah like i mean i I just don't think he's being written as a very appealing character these days but it does look like i mean merv might have a point it looks like um uh what's her name um captain marvel might become the villain in this in in civil war 2 oh really yeah probably and she's already been painted a a villain a little bit in miss marvel Mm mm-hmm um, so I think, yeah, I think we are going to be forced to take Iron Man's side in this comic. So, I mean, yeah, I guess if you, if you have been waiting for Tony to get his, I can see why this might be a bit more fulfilling than, uh, the last few events have been. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm dubious towards this event as, as you've no doubt realized from listening to our reviews of the, the event so far. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? I've, I, and I read this email out now because I'm, uh, I'm interested in, Talking about it before we review a few of the tie-ins to Civil War Two that came out this week because I'm actually I actually really enjoyed them. Yeah, yeah. And I so it's funny, isn't it? Like you can you can detest an event, mm. but some writers are still able to to tie into it really Absolutely. really nicely. And uh, I'm not sure if Merv, who uh, who writes to us from Miami, Florida, oh, which is rad that someone is listening to us from that far away. Oh, that's crazy. Hi, Merv. Um, he writes, uh, so obviously a big Tony Stark fan mm. um, and excited to see him not portrayed as a villain. And I definitely think that he was portrayed as a villain in Uncanny Human in Humans number 11. Oh, yeah. Did you read this one? I did. Um, so this one, again, written by uh, Charles Sue, Ch- Charles Sewell with um, art by Carlos Pacheco um, and inked by Andy Owen, colors by David Curiel. Um, this was a really, really fun issue. Really In was. which uh, after... After Tony Stark essentially, you know, um, commits a war crime, yeah. a, cri- a crime of war, a beginning of war uh, against the Inhumans by stealing, uh, what's his name? Ulysses. Ulysses from them. The thing that annoyed me the most about that, sorry, just to interrupt, is that he did it so casually as if sure. like, no one's going to have a problem with this. You're all right, aren't you, buddy? Yeah, get a move on. <laughs> like, he's a, f- he's a dipshit. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Murph, he's a dipshit. He's a dipshit, Murph. Um, so... That the Inhumans decide to instead of uh, you know firing back at Tony Stark by destroying Stark Tower and and endangering the lives of millions of employees who had nothing to do with uh, Tony Stark's actions, they decide to wage war 
an, a personal war against Tony Stark mm. and um, do everything from blowing up his personal collection of cars mm-hmm. to uh, leaking dick pics yeah. <laughs> to, to, to the <laughs> press, which I thought was really, really fun. Uh, just really fun character assassination stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this issue of Uncanny Inhumans uh, is going for up to like up to $129 an issue on eBay. Yeah. It's sold out of its first run. Like um, it sold out in, on, on, like, on the first day it came out. Yeah, it was crazy. Because it's the first glimpse you get of a new Inhuman character that we're getting a, a series from later in the year called Mosaic. Who is really just a terrible ripoff of Jericho from the Teen Titans without sideburns. <laughs> uh, so Mosaic can enter people's bodies and then steal their looks and abilities for a limited amount of time? Is I that- think he just controls them. He right. just jumps into their bodies and controls them. Okay, sure. Um, but so people are putting this on eBay saying, you know, Uncanny and Humans number 11, uh, Mosaic first appearance and Death of Lockjaw. Yeah, I got really confused because people said it was sold out because Death of Lockjaw. And I was like, why? You can't kill can't kill Lockjaw. Lockjaw is the un- the Inhumans' uh, teleporting dog. He's the best. He is probably the best comic book character of all time. Especially because he's very well in Ms. Marvel's run recently. <laughs> um, he doesn't kill. What he does is he, he, he teleports into one of Tony Stark's private properties, uh, spits out a bunch of grenades, and then teleports out of there as they start to go off and destroy all of Tony Stark's cars. Obviously, because he's a teleporting dog. So chill out, you eBay ripoff merchants. Damn speculators. Lockjaw is alive and well. Um, this comic was a really, really fun way to look at a war against Tony Stark. Yeah. And um, it ends in a really, really dark way mm-hmm. um, in with, the, with uh, some Inhumans doing exactly what the main Inhumans set out to not do um, due to them, the reintroduction of one of the best Inhumans, maybe second best after Lockjaw, mm. Maximus. Maximus the Mad. Who is uh, Black Bolt's brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, used to great effect in... Uh, Hickman's um, Avengers run. Also that, the uh, Paul Jenkins J. Lee Hickman's say, run, yeah. I love that. That's such a good run. So I think good. 12 issues. Just perfect. At the, at the start of the Marvel Knights run. You should go check it out. Like late 90s in Humans title. Yeah, amazing. Real good stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think even though the main event over at Civil War 2 is, is not my thing, uh, mm. I, I'm really enjoying how other um, comics are tying into it. So Uncanny and Humans number 11 is one of them. And the other one is um, Captain Marvel number six. Oh, see, I didn't read this. I'm really? still not reading Captain Marvel. Well, you could read this. Um, it's a great jump on point for the series. It's not written by the original writers of the first five issues of this series, who I quite like. Um, this one's written by uh, Christos Gage with his uh, sister, Ruth oh, Fletcher cool. Gage. Sister or wife. Sorry. Sorry if you're his wife and I said sister. <laughs> Sorry. Um, in any case, it is a female and a male Gage writing, <laughs> writing this book with um, art by Chris Anker, who carries on from the first five issues. Oh, I love Chris Anker. Um, and so this, you see, you basically are given a bit more of a background as to why Captain Marvel is making the decisions she's making in the Civil War book, which I thought was really needed in the Civil mm. War book. Because um, she, obviously she is like the head of, um, you know, the space, the space guys that she's the head of. <laughs> um, Alpha Flight? You got it. You're so much better at remembering things than me. Alpha Flight, she basically, like, the, the, there's a massive board behind both Alpha Flight and the Ultimates that she's a member of both of. She's the head of Alpha Flight and the big board of shadowy figures that overlook her. The, what are they? The, uh, the Board of Governors um, are basically putting pressure on her to use uh, Ulysses to predict more space violence before it happens um, mm. so they can, you know, stop the deaths of millions of people in the future. And so that's why she is, you know, she has pressure that's on her from outside it. forces to use this guy. Um, so yeah, this is basically like a prequel to to the events of Civil War Two, um, 
and you see her interact with with Rhodey, and um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot of fun, um, and uh, we get we get a little bit of a um, a cliffhanger with her trying to deal with a problem on Earth, and she, it, the book ends with her saying, "Get in touch with the humans. I need to talk to Ulysses." Cool. Which probably leads to, unfortunately, what we see in Civil War Two. So I'm not sure what, what what's going to happen in this series moving on. It looks, but it looks things at number seven has Captain Marvel punching. Tony Stark in the fan, in the hand, Yay. fist on fist action. Um, so I don't know. Who knows? I don't, I, I don't know. What, have you? Can you think of any other events that you've not liked that you enjoyed the tie-ins to? Yeah, Flashpoint. Um, oh yes, that had some great tie-ins, didn't it? Yeah, great tie-ins. Not a not my favorite. Um, Pretty event. Book. Terrible event. Yeah. Um, I feel like there was something recently. Convergence. Oh yeah, the DC series. There were some good tie-ins to that. I, I really think liked there, Adam were, there were some good t- tie-ins in principle, but I never, I didn't actually. I loved the Shazam one. Yeah, the Shazam the one was good. The question issue oh, that was, was good. I thought it was okay. I liked yeah. it. And the Adam one, which is like no one else read it. No one else read it that I know, it. and it was so funny and weird. In the end, the <laughs> I can't even. I can't even talk about. Okay, it. look up. Try to find that convergence uh, two-part Adam story if you if you like the Atom. Yeah. Who likes the Atom? Me. He's one of the most underused DC characters. I know. He's, I love both Atoms. Yeah, I was going to say, the most, the even more underused is Captain Atom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. So let's move from uh, from Marvel to DC for a bit. I want to talk about two annuals that came out this week. Um, one of them was from Marvel, one of them was from DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them was an annual done right, and that was the Grayson annual. Woo! Um, with I loved a, this. A stack of different artists, including um, Flaviano, who uh, drew the... Power Man and Iron Fist comic that we loved last week. Oh, yeah. Um, it was written by Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly. Mm-hmm. And we have stacks of different people doing different stories within this on art. And the art, for the most part, is is, is spectacular all the way through. Yeah, really um, excellent. Really interesting takes on that, that DC house style. Mm-hmm. Um, the other annual I want to talk about is Spider-Gwen, annual number one. But, uh, yeah, the, the greatest annual, annual first is um, basically this great great kind of cap to the end of uh, of. Grayson as Agent 37. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have not been reading it, he stopped being Nightwing after his identity was revealed at the end of Forever Evil, whatever it was called. Was that what it was called? Forever Evil? Yes. The Jeff Johns event. Um, and so he became like a, a spy and no one knew who, who he was. He actually wore weird technology that meant his face looked like a spiral. Cool. So no one knew who he was. But everyone knows that the most recognizable feature of Dick Grayson is his butt. Is his butt. So you have lots of uh, Dick Grayson butt jokes, if that's your thing. It should be. <laughs> and <It's> it great. is. <laughs> um, so this is like a basically like an anthology book that is about the coming together of Harley Quinn, John Constantine, Simon Baz, and Azrael. Mm-hmm. And they are going to tell their stories to... Um, Detective Jim Corrigan, also known as the Spectre. And uh, so they all they all basically share stories of them coming into, like basically uh, you know working alongside or accidentally meeting Agent Thirty Seven. Mm-hmm. None of them know who he is, but they want to know more. And um, you you basically learn all these funny vignettes featuring featuring Dick Grayson interacting with all these different superheroes. Um, most of the time, it's successful as well. Um, and then they all try to guess who Agent Thirty Seven is at the end. Um, this is super fun. Super fun. Super fun. Um, brings in some of like the really fun elements of the character, like the John Constantine story is this very sort of um, exploitative, sexy vampire story. Yep. Um, and it ends with sort of Constantine wishing that he could he could also have sex with Dick Grayson. 
which is nice. <laughs> um. <laughs> nice, very nice. I also I love this because um, it's I've never seen or never thought I would see Harley Quinn and John Constantine in the same room in a comic book before. Yeah, totally. And That's I, a weird crossover. I think, but I'm into it. Yeah, I mean, I, and that, again, that, that that makes me think of a, another event that um, was poorly received. Original Sin. The best thing about that was um, that they paired the Punisher and Doctor Strange together. Oh, fun. And I would love to see a Harley Quinn Constantine. I think he's, he'd be a great foil for her. Yeah, because you, you'd imagine that all of the annoying quirks he would actually kind of be either go along with or just shut her down when she got too annoying. And, I yeah. think, and, and you know, she would bring out the, the goof in him too. Yeah, totally. That's I think that's a fun, like fun tie-in. Um, and then, yeah, you, you, you do get a little bit more background on Simon Baz, um, who is a character I do not know much about, and this version of Azrael too. too. Uh, really satisfying ending and a nice kind of, you know, cap to the end, the, the end of this era of Grayson. Yeah, it makes me sad because I wish now we were getting more sexy spy Adventures. But and did I'm you gonna... read any of those prior? Well, no. So now I'm going back to. You're the problem. Part of the problem, Siobhan. I am part of the problem. <laughs> um, but I'm still excited to see him back as Nightwing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, in his blue costume too, which is very exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Did not like the red. That was like one of the few stupid comic boy fandom yeah. things that I would not let rest. I still wish he had too. a big disco collar though. Personally. Did not think you were going to say disco. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was like, I'm pretty sure he still has a bit, yeah. <laughs> um, That's canon, all right? It's, <laughs> it's canon that Dick, Dick Grayson is. Of course, with his name. You can, yeah. He has to be well endowed. Absolutely. It's, it's the rule. Um, so, Spider-Gwen annual number one. Yes, we're going to be make a lot of uh, a lot of dick jokes later in the episode, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there, there was a massive dick joke in a, in a comic that we're going to review later. I've forgotten what that was. That's a fun teaser. (laughs) Um, Spider Gwen Annual Number One, written by Jason Latour, with a uh, huge list of uh, guest artists. Um, I'm bringing this up just in comparison point to the Grayson Annual because this is an annual done in that anthology style where none of the stories join together. Mm -hmm. I love the Grayson one because they are all these different stories drawn by different artists um, that were brought together. Framing, device. absolutely, yeah, yeah, definitely, and then you know the, all those stories added up to the ending, and 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 it, you know you get really invested in it. This mm. is just story after story after story after story, mm. and some of them are like one page long. Um, Always weird. With, yeah, like like an incredible um, origin story of some koala character in the Spider Gwen universe, drawn by Emmy Lennox with art by Geordie Belair. I love Emmy Lennox, which is a much better creative team than a character like that deserves. <laughs> but they, what do you know? Is this the issue where it's like? On Spider Gwen's planet, Modoc is Donald Trump. That's right. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that was yeah, it's like all these all of these stories are pretty amusing, but I definitely prefer a, com- a, a an anthology comic to have that framing device. Um I will I will point out how much I loved the final story in this, in which we see a different page with a different artist for um a di- each each day of um Spider Woman's week. And uh you have artists like James Harron, Jordi Belair on colours, Jason Latour who um, writes his book, but also is the uh, most famous for being the artist on Southern Bastards, actually mm-hmm. draws two pages of this story. Um, you've got J- um, Javier Rodriguez, who does the Spider-Woman book in the regular Marvel Universe, um, and Veronica Fish, who we uh, love on Archie every month. Yeah, amazing. Coloured by Geordie Belair, which is a, 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 actually a massive difference. They're even little Makes things, her art look really different, huh? Yeah, really, really subtle things, like just nail polish in this comic I really, mm. not, I really picked up on. Um, but yeah, look, if, if you're a massive Spider-Gwen fan, you probably already picked up this book. But if not, and you wanted to learn a bit more about the universe from which Spider-Gwen comes from, this is a pretty fun read, but not as good as the Grayson Annual. Cool. Let's, what next? Let's uh, go back to that Marvel 616 for Black Panther number three by Ta-Nehisi Coates and uh, Brian Stelfreeze on art with Laura Martin. Uh, 
We have been, um, you know, eagerly anticipating hmm. each issue of this comic. And I wouldn't say I've been let down so far, but the I've been left wanting as I finish each issue uh, prior to yeah. this one. But this one, I think, was the first, the strongest issue that they've put out of this run so far. They really, they introduced some really cool, fun, fun things into this issue. Um, A lot that of was yeah, really exciting. Na- nature-based kind of... Um, uh, mythology, I guess. Superheroes and mythology, mm. yeah. Uh, they're, they're still yet to really... Um, they're, they're, it's a lot more world-building than it is character-building of Black Panther. Yeah, absolutely. And so that might be the, the biggest fault that I have with this comic. Um, basically, you know, the, the, every kind of Black Panther plot in each issue so far is like he infiltrates something, learns something more about Wakanda, and then doubts his existence. Yeah, and realises that everyone hates him. Everyone hates Black Panther at the moment. Poor I love guy. Black Panther. Yeah, I love him. Uh, I love his costume in this. I really I really love Brian Stelfreeze, and there's some really great sort of little details and moments in this, which I love. I love when um, Black Panther sort of is an, an explosion and all bits of his costume kind of light up so you can sort of see where the vibranium all connects and it's yeah. all cool patterns. And, Super awesome. Yeah, lots, uh, of, yeah. lots of cool. Well, I've actually criticised his action artwork in the past in the action scenes, but mm. whereas I thought this was excellent from yeah, start to excellent. finish from an art point of view. So, um, yeah, this is this has really got me jazzed. I realise I say excited too much and I should probably just keep saying that because jazz is a terrible word. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, I'm... It's just very happy that a comic like this exists because I know apparently it's got a massive readership. Oh, that's great! Um, and uh, I'm just looking forward for the for the real story to emerge, and it looks like it's finally starting to here. Yeah, I feel like like I mean we're only three issues in, and I definitely it seems like it's one of those quite slow burn books, which you know can be a little bit difficult when you're reading month to month. But I think it'll be very very rewarding um, in trade paperback, and once once the whole series has come out, I'm I'm very excited to. Reread this a number of times. Agreed. Um, Spider-Man slash Deadpool has uh, regularly been written by Joe Kelly mm-hmm. um, with art by Ed McGuinness. Um, it's been quite fun. How have I not been reading that? I love it. Every month I tell you you should do because... Oh, and I just ignore you completely. Yeah, I, I, even, <laughs> I even tried to tell you how many superheroes get shirtless in it too. What? <laughs> you should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
<laughs> um, they like Deadpool and Spider Man like mud wrestled in their underpants last what? issue. Um, but this one sees uh, Joe and Ed take a break, and we get uh, Scott Aukerman and Riley Brown. Um, on this book instead, on uh, writing and art, respectively. Scott Aukerman, most famous for running the podcast and TV show Comedy Bang Bang. Um, uh. He is uh, someone I'm a massive fan of, and I, and I know that he's always been a massive comic book fan, particularly Marvel comic books. Uh, we've seen you know, quite a few people in his world come to Marvel over the last few years. Um, ben Acker and Ben Blacker from um, the Thrilling Adventure podcast. And... Um, Brian Posehn, the mm-hmm. comedian, who was um, one of uh, the alumni on uh, Mr. Show alongside Scott Aukerman in the 90s. Uh, so I was very excited after he's, d- he's done a few little comics in the either Deadpool or Spider-Man annuals over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he even did one in a, in a Secret Wars book as well. But this is the first full issue that Scott Aukerman's written for Marvel. Um, and it is a very, very goofy look at um, the world of uh, superhero films. This is like... Forget like a joke a page. This is like a joke a panel. Yeah, um, I didn't find any of the jokes especially funny though. Really, I thought there there was some really really great bit um, where he uh, he is like walking through the city and overhears like a, a a black dude wearing like Kanye shades and a, and a big jacket and chains and holding a massive boombox with news blaring from it, and it's like you know frightened eyewitnesses has, have spotted the costume menace. Surely a supervillain of some sort flying high above Midtown, terrorizing the city. And Deadpool's like, wait a minute. And you think he's going to respond to the, the news that he's just heard. But instead he grabs the guy and says, why do you still have a boombox and not an MP3 player of some, sh- some sort? Are you a time traveler? <laughs> that was pretty funny. And the, my favorite joke in this is someone goes, hey, get out of my way. What are you, blind to Daredevil? And it goes, editor's note, this joke is not insensitive as Daredevil actually is blind. <laughs> See Daredevil, 1964, issue one for details. And he has That was a, funny. He has a few fun things like that, like pointing people back to really old issues that everyone's read a million times but i thought i like it was so in jokey about the film industry in a way that i'm like i don't i i don't know what that is and i don't find that especially funny okay i did love the director yelling what in the name of the divergent series of films is going on here <laughs> there are some really really funny lines in this I thought, I thought like there were individual funny jokes but as a story i really didn't really understand what was going on i think as an issue he's not quite maybe there yet as a comic book writer doesn't really know how to pace an issue or how to maybe tell a story that well in this vit- this medium. Yep. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And he even actually bursts onto the set of Comedy Bang Bang at one point. And Scott Aukerman yells his uh, famous weird catchphrase from his podcast in the last year, Hey Nong Man. Which, there you uh, go. See, do- all these things. I yeah. was like, I don't know what that means. I don't care. Probably 30 people who read this comic did. And I was one of them. Woohoo! <laughs> Um, and then Spider-Man, Spider-Man even yells, have I mentioned that this is canonically my favorite TV show? Which is great. Oh, there we go. That, I see, I was very, very confused about that bit. Um, um, don't do not do that. Don't put, like, in-jokes to your TV show in, like, a mainstream Spider-Man no, versus Deadpool comic. No, I definitely do that. I don't know. No way. Because <laughs> it didn't even, like, there was no part of this, like, oh, this has been written. Oh, yeah, it is. Right at the beginning. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Siobhan, it's on you. I skipped over that bit. Part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, I am. Uh, Whatever, I didn't like it. Shut up, Scott Aukman. And in the end, I mean, like, it's pretty funny at the end. Um, they, they decide not to make a Deadpool and Spider- or Spider-Man movie and instead make Nighthawk versus Hyperion, Yawn of Boredom. <laughs> and then the, the tagline is, you won't believe their mothers share a first name. <laughs> 
which is like, you know, it's, it's, it's real fun. <laughs> don't, don't kick them when they're down. <laughs> Do kick them when they're down. It's great. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed this book, but I can totally understand why this issue, in particular of a pretty polarizing run all up, um, is not for you. I, yeah. I, it's, it's, it's baffling to me how into this Spider-Man and Deadpool comic I am, given that I don't read either of their other comics. It is baffling to me that it's been like, we are on the seventh printing of the first issue of that comic. It's a really strong issue. Yeah, I have to and read there's it. Like a, and then there's like a really long, like I'm talking like three page build up to a boner joke, which nice. is very impressive. Oh, very now impressive. I do have to go back and read it. Too hey, guess what? Hey. I'm holding the comic that had the dick joke in it that oh, we're going to talk yeah. about this week. Dick Jokes Plenty, the uh, greatest dick joke comic of our generation. Also uh, a good week for sexy spy comics. You mean shirtless men comics? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking about Mockingbird number four um, by Chelsea Kane with uh, art by Kate Nimchik. Nimchik? Nailed it. Yeah. Perfect. Nailed it. Perfect. Great. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, one of our favorite ongoing series at Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, it totally came out of nowhere with a character that we've never really been that big of a fan of in the past. And she's really giving a, a personality. Um, I've seen people criticize this book, this book saying that it's like an ABC drama um, in the States, like a kind of, you know, fun spy drama romp. But I think yeah. there's totally, you know... Is that, a, is that a bad thing? I don't know. I, it basically means like, you know, it's, it's, it's a very lighthearted spy comedy book. Yeah, but I love it. I, I'm Me too. More lighthearted spy comedy books, please. Um, this sees Mockingbird rescue her once husband, Hawkeye. Um, in some tiny shorts. In some very, very tiny shorts, which he just stays in for the entire book. Yeah. And uh, Mockingbird changes into several different outfits. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love them. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of, like, making up for, like, like, you know, reverse sexism. Yeah, totally. This book is so, like, has an agenda, and I love it because the agenda is, like, feminism in the most silly way possible. Yeah. It's a it's a really, really fun, fun read. Mockingbird's unstoppable um, and so sure of herself. And uh, but, but still like a bit of a mess um, in her in her lives outside mm. of her spy career, um, but you know she's extremely good at what she does. And, and there's lots of um, I like they do lots of funny little flashbacks to Hawkeye and Mockingbird in sort of couples therapy when they were married. Um, I like the various sort of things that come to light, like. Bobby had been slowly poisoning um, <laughs> poisoning Hawkeye over the course of their marriage to immunize him against certain poisons so that she could use them in her spies. So, yeah, and, like, I, and, funny. I, and I feel like up until now, like it's kind of been, especially in Fraction's Hawkeye run, uh, that, you know, it's pretty much been knowledge that, that Hawkeye's the reason that that marriage broke up mm-hmm. and, you know, he's terrible in a relationship. And I love the idea that that Mockingbird played a part in that too. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Like they're, they're not, she's, she's not, not just innocent. like a woman done wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Sorry. I just like, I just found a panel that made me laugh really hard where he's like, she goes, um, I don't see why he has to know everything about me. And he says, seriously, I just asked you how many times you've been married. Yeah. <laughs> just something like that. Like it's just, I liked it. It's yeah. Funny. And what I love about this is that like, again, it's that, you know, it's an extremely funny, um, comic with with an absolute uh you know telling from a feminist point of view mm-hmm. but it doesn't resolve um doesn't always go to the you know the, the tumble joke style of storytelling mm. um it's it's a really enjoyable kind of classically told story with with new ideas within it absolutely and it's such a like it's a, it's such a fun take on on superheroes and i can definitely like you can tell that they come from a a tv background or like a screenwriting perspective because I feel like there's bits in it that I'm like oh that's not very I would expect that from a 
TV show, but not so much in a comic. Yeah. Um, but it, it works really well in this context, and I think it's really fun. And it even ends. I, I'm not going to spoil the, the, the ending, but I will spoil the last panel just because I, I, I did. I teased a dick joke, and uh, this one's like straight out of a Naked Gun movie. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, so, so Clint Hawkeye has a a vial with an antidote on him, but he's only wearing tiny shorts. So, of course, the uh, the vial is somewhere in his tiny shorts, and uh, after rescuing. Uh, each other, I guess. Mm. Um, uh, Mockingbird says, I'm, I'm going to need that vial. And she reaches into his pants. And then the comic ends with Clint saying, uh, that's not a vial. The colors are so good on this book. <laughs> sure, it's so pretty to yeah, look yeah. at. I love it. It's a really good book. More dick jokes, more gratuitous um, men, please. <laughs> Good colours, good fun book. Yes, please. Let's talk about another female superhero book over at Marvel that had an incredible, um, I guess, like a real-life issue told in a fun superhero way. Yeah. Uh, the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl Number 9, written by Ryan North with art by Erica Henderson. This may be one of... I mean, this is just... This book just gets better and better, It just basically. really does. Um, I love it. I feel like Ryan North is sort of um, developing as like a... a regular comic book writer so much in these issues like the first couple i found quite difficult to read because there was so much text and so many gags and it wasn't quite flowing right and now it really feels like he's getting the hang of it which is very exciting to see him kind of graduate from web comics definitely um so in this book uh you see one of the least understood villains in the soup in the marvel universe uh mole man uh he comes up from uh, from deep below the earth and uh, tries to attack New York once again. But Squirrel Girl, instead of just beating him in the head, decides to talk to him and figure out what's wrong. And then he realizes this is the first girl on Earth that's ever understood him. And he mm. decides that she will be his no matter what. And so you get this meta commentary on on guys not understanding that no means no. Yeah. When they try and pursue a girl, be it in a bar or on the internet or in real life. Constantly, it was very um, funny because it was it, it felt like it felt very relatable. Like I feel like every girl has been in that position where you don't want to hurt someone's feelings, and so you sort of don't want to say just no straight out. So you're sort of like, oh no, for these reasonable reasons, and then they come up with a way to get around that, and then you're like, ah, oh, you're just putting me in a position where I just have to say I don't like you, and that's really annoying. Um, and that came across really well in this, and it was told in a really funny way in a really good way and I loved it yeah she's such a beautiful character yeah and I, I yeah it's just I've never I've not read many iterations of Squirrel Girl before Ryan North started writing her me neither I'm not sure if you know this is this is the character that she's always been I only saw her like pop up in like Bendis's New Avengers run and maybe something that Dan Slott wrote years ago mm. but uh I've only ever seen her used as a punchline in things totally um but this is just she's just such an incredible character in, in this book I mean mm. she should be it's her book but uh, she, she's just so, I don't know, she is such a good person in, in every way. Yeah. Uh, and she's funny and the series is so funny. Like I love all of the little sort of commentary at the bottom of each panel. It's sort of Ryan North's classic thing. And I find that really, really funny. Yeah. Um, Erica Henderson is so good. Yep. I think part of the like reason that we like Doreen so much as a character is because of the, what Erica Henderson brings to it physically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So much to love Great about cartoon. this comic. Great, and I mean, and Mole Man is one of my favourite bad guys. Um, yeah, and seeing him just groveling in this way and just being the worst is just yeah. is, is very very fun. So so fun. Uh, so this is gonna this is a two parter. So it looks like his uh, his war against Squirrel Girl's heart uh, <laughs> continues next month. All right.
I also didn't. Did you know that the mole man's name is Harvey? <laughs> no. Well, the things you learn. <laughs> uh, let's move over from Marvel back to DC for a book that we, it's just getting increasingly more and more difficult to read. Mm. What's that book, Siobhan? Dark Knight 3, The Master Race. Now, this book was never that good to begin with. Um, of course, it is the completely unnecessary third uh, installation of the Dark Knight series, uh, a once fantastic series uh, by Frank Miller. Uh, part two is flawed, but still has its still moments. Hmm. This one's co-written with Azarello and art by Andy Kubert. Um, I was drawn to, but to this. I wasn't even going to start reading this comic, but I was drawn to the fact that they have a mini comic mm-hmm. within each issue, which I still think is really cool. Even though this is the worst mini comic so far, so bad, so bad. bad but I feel art, like I story. feel I feel bad criticizing it because it bad reads. Butts. Yeah, th- that cover is. Look at that stupid butt. Completely <laughs> insane. It's completely insane. Why does Why does she fly curled up like a ball anyway? Um, I find that very odd. But it just reads to me like a very old man who is very sick and can't really draw or write properly anymore, which I think might be true. So I find it really hard to be too mean about this terrible, terrible mini-comic. Yeah, the, ter- the mini-comic's the, the worst thing about this comic. The, and that is that is written and drawn exclusively by Frank Miller. The greatest story. I mean, like, Andy Kubert's doing some really good art in, in this book. Yeah. Um, I'm not usually a fan, but there's a lot of good. There's a lot of moments in this book that are just trash, but for the most part, I guess the main story is, like, like it's kind of stupid fun. It's like, I don't know. It feels like what if you like just fed Frank Miller monster energy drink for a week and <laughs> see what happened. Uh, in this, you get Superman in a metal suit into yeah. uh, Batman's metal suit from the Dark Knight, which is hilarious. And I, I kind of love the reasoning that he needs a suit is because it's raining kryptonite. kryptonite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a really, really dumb story but I, the, it's, yeah it's I, I begin every issue like Ugh, but mm. by the end I'm like oh this is kind of fun I guess yeah I still I still was pretty like oh at the end of this I think I think it, I think my favorite thing is I'd, I'd quite like to see more of this Aquaman like they bring um because I can't it's been so long since I've even read the Dark Knight Returns the Dark Knight Strikes again I can't remember if Aquaman's even in no there. the only other ca- character besides um besides Superman and Batman from from the greater universe is Green Arrow, mm. but then they're they're all pretty much in number two. So there's a cool bit where like Aquaman is um, underwater with Carrie Kelly as Robin, um, just riding riding a cool huge hammerhead shark, which I was very into, and I'd see more of that. Um, but that's all I really care about. I don't care about Superman's daughter and yeah, the evil Bottle City of Candor people and. They um they brought Carrie Kelly into the main continuity in the Batman and Robin book in the New Fifty Two. Did you read much of that? Did they? Yeah, she was like a friend of Damian Wayne's before oh. he died. Oh, okay. I, I, I don't know where that ended up. Mm. Um, I don't want to look it on Wikipedia. If you're listening right now, let us Stop. know. <laughs> Facebook.com/slash/seriousissuespodcast or email us seriousissues at kingscomics.com. Uh, how many more Dark Knight threes do we have? I think it's I think it's supposed to be an eight issue series. Yeah, right, because this this feels like the penultimate issue. Yeah, like, it really I, does. I don't know how it? they're gonna have three more on top of this. No. I think if if you, I think most people who want to be reading this book already will be reading this book. If you're a Frank Miller fan, you'll probably want it just for a completist. That's why I'm still reading each one. Um, yeah, I like started it. I'm going to finish it. But it's not his best work. It's not his. I don't think. I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a good continuation of what's come before. Like the first book was so perfect, it should have just been left. Yeah, it doesn't do Azarello any favors either. No, it doesn't. I feel like it must be a really hard project for Azarello. 
don't that. know. Well, what, 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 what's he doing once this is done? Because he hasn't been attached to any of the uh, Rebirth titles. Hasn't he got an image book coming out soon? Yes, but I want to know what he's doing at DC because mm. yeah, he has an agreement with them of some kind, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, oh, man. Well, we're on the disappointing, dis- the road of disappointment. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about Plutona number five. This is a miniseries that just finished over at Image, written by Jeff Lemire with art by Emmy Lennox and colours by Jordi Belair. Um, this was an incredible first and second issue. Yeah. That basically gave you the insight into a world of teenagers um, mm-hmm. who live beneath superheroes and some of them are obsessed by them, others take them for granted. Um, there was one particularly obsessed um, member of, of this group at school and... Um, Four teenagers basically discover a dead superhero, and then the, this this story is about what happens once they've discovered this. Do you mm. know, who, who do they go to? What do they tell? What do they? What becomes of them? And uh, it was definitely a, like a quite a nice beginning. Like even though you have that dark discovery of, of a body, um, it was definitely felt like. A, a kids book, you know, in, yeah, in its own yeah, it way. it had that sort of like kids adventure Spielberg y type vibe to it. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. And because it came out around the same time as Paper Girls, I was like, oh, this is like, you know, they feel have a similar vibe and that sort of thing. And that's quite fun. But this just took a very dark. It's so dark. So dark. And um, like out really, of nowhere. Like quite sort of unpleasant and quite hard to read, I found. Like all of yeah. a sudden. Was it because I, I forgot quite a bit apparently. Um, and when I picked this up, I was like, oh God, I need to go back and read the last issue. But I, I felt like I needed to go back to issue three because I went, what? He was the kid like trying to swap blood with her. Was that what was yes, happening? Yes, he thought that by, by putting her blood into his, he would he would gain her powers. Yeah. Yeah, gets very unpleasant towards the end and the, the ending is very um, open to interpretation, I suppose, but it's very grim and it's very... Yeah, I, w- this yeah. wasn't a nice ending. It wasn't, and it doesn't even feel. It didn't even feel like a, like the ending was properly wrapped up. Like it just felt rushed, very yeah, rushed, yeah, and like it just sort of ended in this really nothing was resolved, yeah. just kind of sad way. I really, I really want Lemire to to do because he has like so many of. Of, of his early books, the graphic novels like The Underwater Welder. Sweet um, Tooth is one of my favorite series. And um, what's the uh, book about the something county? Essex, Essex county. county. God, yeah. that's, that's a perfect book. Mm. And uh, I definitely enjoy kind of some of his superhero stuff. Um, I really love his Green Arrow. Really great and Green Arrow, yeah. But I just, I want him to do, because I, yeah, I mean, we, we talk about, um, what's the one that he's writing with? Um, we reviewed it last week about the uh, the AI it's again, oh, Descender? Descender. I mean, mm. that that's actually signing out good again, but that, that almost lost its way at some point too. I just he, His stories used to be so focused and, mm. and character-driven, um, and, and, and he's kind of losing that. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the last couple of stories haven't been haven't been my favourite. I feel like maybe he's been stretched a little thin because he was I, yeah. doing sort of backup duty on so many of those DC books for a little oh, while. And, and he's writing two X-Men. He's writing Old Man Logan oh, and an too. X-Men book. So um, my I've read the first... Um, and Hawkeye, he just finished, yeah. Yeah, I quite liked... Like, it wasn't... It was hard to follow on from that Matt Fraction, David Ayer run, but I quite liked his Hawkeye stuff. Um, he's got a new one coming out soon through Dark Horse um, called Black Hammer, which is um, with art by Dean Ormston. And that's sort of like a... Um, meta superhero thing about uh, a t- super team who 
their universe explodes and they end up in an alternate universe stuck in different bodies that can't age and can't all this kind of stuff. Um, and I've, I've checked out the first two issues of that as a preview and it's really good. So I'm cool. really... When um, does that come out? Um, I don't know when we've got the soon. first... Yeah, soon. <laughs> soon. July. It says July. So cool. hopefully sometime this month it'll be coming in. Amazing. Cool. Well, that's Plutona. A, a, a disappointing end to a, a, a series that showed a lot of promise when it started. Yeah, and a disappointing... I wish Emmy Lennox's first sort of... Oh, her, uh, I mean, in her defense, like, the art is fantastic yeah, all, the, art all is, the way till yeah, the end. That's true. Um, she writes, she draws really, really great kids and expressions and emotion. Mm-hmm. And uh, the colors are just so good in this so as well. Yeah. Damn it, Jordi Belair. Damn it, The best. Belair. Oh, I, 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 I can't believe that she's doing colors on the Batman book. It's such a good get. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So perfect. I'm looking forward to reading the second issue of that next, this week. Mm. Oh, boy. Uh, did you read Silk number nine? What? No. Oh, How did I Siobhan, miss that? what are you doing? What am I doing? Uh, I moved on the weekend, so... Yeah, okay, fair that's enough. That's my excuse. <laughs> um, what was your old address and what's your new address? <laughs> uh, Silk number nine was uh, just a continuation of the story of uh, Cindy Moon, aka Silk, uh, living a double life as she's a double agent for, for S.H.I.E.L.D., trying to infiltrate Black Cat's uh, uh, life. And um, it turns out Black Cat is onto her. Oh, no. Pretty exciting stuff. It's just a fun comic. Yeah, it's just a really good comic. I think that, um, like, Silk, I've probably said this before, but Silk seemed like it was such a silly character when they first brought her in because of the whole, like, mm, she's so sexually attracted to Peter Parker and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but they've really, like, developed her into someone I really like, and I think she's very compelling. And and guess what? what? Not not tying into Civil War 2. Yay! <laughs> um, X-Men, the worst X-Men ever, number five of five, another mm-hmm. miniseries uh, that... Also started very, very light and fun and ended quite Mad dark. grim. Nowhere near as grim as, um, as Platona. Um, but this is written by Max Bemis and um, art by Michael Walsh. It colors by Ruth Redmond um, about a, um, an X-Men who uh, is, you know, identified as a mutant, except his one superpower is that he can explode once, once. and that's it. So he he can explode and then that's that's in his power done and his life over. So basically, he's you know he's the worst X Men ever with with a completely useless power. They try to assign him to different teams. He tries to just be a regular X Men. He has trouble. And uh, this is uh, it, the first few issues was were kind of like just about this kind of useless character trying to fit into the X Men world as we know it. And then uh, it, basically in the last issue, it just tried to be a bit bigger than mm. that. Well, I think that I think that there was always an element of like this was a slightly meta X Men story because it's not in the current it wasn't set in the current sort of massively confusing, terrible X Men universe. It's sort of like more of a classic X universe with the team that you know and not set in a specific time period, I suppose. And like I like there's a line in this, like every X Men story ends in apocalypse, which is true. Yep. And a good a good point. Yeah, but then it kind of tries to be bigger than that and, and almost yeah. the the end of this book is why the creation of the X-Men happened. Is that... No, it's, it, it, it basically it ends on a kind of humorous note with mm. the end of the story basically being a, a letter from the editor to the writer about why he shouldn't write this comic. So, I mean, that, that was pretty amusing. But yeah, uh, this, this was a very, very funny book that got less so as it continued. Yeah, but I... I, I... I mean, you sound quite like um, disappointed by the ending, but I quite. I it was just very rushed. It. it was very rushed, and again, it, it, it reminded me. I think I read it immediately after Platona. I was like, "Not this mm. book too." <laughs> I liked it, and there were some funny bits. I like the um, 
I like that the idea in this sort of future apocalypse, um, Magneto is like a homeless guy with a sign that says, I was right first. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, you know what else I, you know, I actually liked this week that, oh, I, yeah. that I said I wasn't going to read anymore? Mm. Um, all new, all dead for an Avengers, no- Avengers number 11. Oh, I didn't even read it. Mark Wade and um, uh, what's his name? Craig as Ezra. Mahmoud Az- Azara. Azra. Say it again. I said Mahmoud Azra. Thank you so much. I'm terrible at pronunciation of all kinds. Um, this is uh, a surprisingly really fun book about uh, the this Avengers team being stuck on another planet as they uh, try to figure out the secrets of Nova's parents. Um, uh, they're stuck on this thing with their, with their powers dampened and the um, Annihilus is like head of this planet um, and he's trying to destroy Earth. And it's just like this like fun, goofy space story with all of these new Avengers in it. Sounds um, good. Sounds. Is it? Was it sort of a one and done kind of uh, issue? No, it's like a three three part. This oh, is cool. the second part of three. I, I didn't like the first part, but I really really liked the uh, hmm. the third part. The, sorry, the second part, and looking forward to the third part. Just a quick one. Um, don't don't give up on uh, Mark Wade's Avengers run yet, folks. Keep giving it chance after chance after chance, <laughs> like I have until it ends, and then you're <laughs> just sad and poor. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Are you still reading May? I read May two? May number two by uh, Gene Ha on Doc through Dark Horse. Um, can you explain this story to me? <laughs> <laughs> I can try. So it's um, some uh, twin sisters and one of the sisters disappeared many, many years ago and has suddenly shown up and claims that she's been in a sort of Narnia-esque world for the last couple of years fighting monsters. And it all seems very... Hard like, to believe. she is crazy and then monsters show up and everyone's like, oh shit, you were right. Um, it's, it's, quite, it's quite good fun. The sort of lead character is supposed to be this quite sort of relatable geek girl who's into Doctor Who and stuff, which is fine and everything, I suppose. Um, The art's quite strange. Gene Ha, like, I mean, if you like Gene Ha's art, you'll probably love it. If you don't, you'll probably find it a little bit strange, like me. Um, I think art's the strongest thing about this book, though. See, I I quite, I don't, I don't mind the story. I mean, that's not, that's not a very good review. I don't mind it. (laughs) It's not my favourite thing. um, There's elements that I definitely like. I'm more interested to see how it goes once they're in the once they've actually returned to the um, Narnia-esque world. Yeah, definitely. Um, again, another book that suddenly gets crazy grim and you see like the roasted bodies of yeah. of, of her neighbours and, and her house is burned down and maybe her dad's gone missing. Yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, it's very similar to that birthright thing of like, oh, all these fantasy characters seem harmless and elves and things until all of a sudden they're in your world and they're burning down your people and beheading people and stuff. So that's that's quite fun. It's um, looking at that kind of genre in quite a cool, interesting way. Yeah, it hasn't hooked me yet, but like you said, they're just about to go back to the Narnia world and mm-hmm. that could hook me. Yeah, that could be better. One more issue. One more issue. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you that in May. Feels like I'm talking to a woman. <laughs> Look here, May, you've got one more issue. Uh I've got a few comics that I read that you didn't. I have one. Okay, what that is I it? Really didn't read. Um, Legend of Wonder Woman. So this is the um, excellent, excellent digital first um, one that I haven't been reading digitally because screw digital by <laughs> Renee Deliz. Um, set in World War Two, sort of a uh, another Wonder Woman origin story. Really, really brilliant. We've now gotten to the point where she is in costume, fully fledged as Wonder Woman, fighting against the Nazis. Such good fun. There's some good romance with Steve Trevor. Edit Candy is like in full flight as good comic relief. Um, the colors are beautiful. It's like this unbelievably beautiful Disney comic. Um, I can't. I can't wait for this yeah. to get collected in trade. 
It's going to yeah. be a nice big fat book. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I do know that that is, you will have to wait until December. It's coming out oh, in hardcover. But that'll be a lovely Christmas present for everyone that I know. Very true. I want my Christmas present now. <laughs> um, I read Sex Number 29 by Joe Casey with um, uh, Peter Kowalski on art. Uh, again, the book that I read that no one else does. Although I think our, our friend on Instagram, Sydney Comic Book Guy, has started reading it based on our, um, ins- our recommendation, which is really cool. Um, again, this is a, a, a kind of, it started out as a take, a, a different take on a retired Batman story, um, in a world where, where sex is rampant, hey. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's just such a compelling story. Now there's so many different threads. Um, and at the beginning of every issue now, they've got like a kind of who's who in this book. And there's, you know, 20 different characters that, that are all have their own stories going. You just kind of get glimpses into each. It's very almost Kirkman-esque in the way he balances so many different story threads at once. But yeah, this this used to be like the book that I would read last in my pile, or I would let a few issues kind of stack up over a a couple months and then read a bunch. But now it's one of the, you know, first three comics that I pick that I start reading when I get my new stack. Read sex guys. Sex is great. (laughs) Read more sex. Um, East of West number 27, Jonathan Hickman with Nick Dragotta. Uh, This is a, a massive epic again with with I would say too many characters and too many worlds and too many different things to follow. Ooh, yeah, I I gave up after the fir- like the third trade. It's too much. It, this was an incredible issue mm. where just so much shit happened. <laughs> too much. That's too my much that's my shit. review. So much shit happened in this. <laughs> um, no, but it's an action packed episode issue. Sorry, action packed issue. Um, lots of different uh, plot points coming to a head. Um, and it has a little teaser to the next comic that Hickman is writing for Image called The Black Monday Murders. Oh, I am excited about that. Likewise. Um, but yeah, if you, if, you are, if you are missing that Jonathan Hickman epic storytelling that we got when he was writing for Marvel, uh, you should definitely catch up on East of West because it's very fun. Huh, finally. Are you reading Darth Vader? Yeah, I read yeah, Darth Vader. There we so go. We've, got, we've got, what, four more issues of this left until they've quit it forever. There's issue number 22 by uh, Kieran Gillen and La Roca, Salvador La Roca. Uh, I have no idea what's going on in this. So basically this is just kind of, uh, I guess like Darth Vader's wrapping things up by killing all those who oppose him in his, uh, you know, so he can be the, the, the chosen one by the emperor. Uh, and you, we basically just, just basically see him just cutting his way through different parts of the empire. Yeah. To show his allegiance to the emperor. Yep. Yeah, I just didn't think that was very interesting, I guess. Um, I think it's going to come to a head quite quickly. This is this is maybe the last kind of filler. Actually, unless it does that kind of thing where you he deals with one character each issue at a time. I don't know. Right, okay. I think I think probably because I stopped reading this halfway through and then, and then started, started reading, reading, reading it again. Yeah. I was um I was very yeah, I don't really understand who any of these people are, why they're fighting or what's going on at all. I think I, I just enjoy seeing this very, very capable, bloodthirsty Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, just try as hard as he can to kind of prove that he's the, the right man for the job to the Emperor. Um, it's an interesting take on the character that you don't see much in the movies. Mm. Yeah, cool. Cool. Almost done, guys. Three more <laughs> issues left of Darth Vader. And this podcast is done. Hey, no, oh, wait, no, is it? No, you're right. It's false alarm, guys. We read a junior graphic novel this week, or I read half of it, which shows that maybe I'm not even eight yet. <laughs> um, DC Superhero Girls. We heard us talk about it a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. We went to the uh, preview screening of uh, the new cartoon show, mm-hmm. and this is the first graphic novel starring uh, young versions of Batgirl, Supergirl, 
Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, Bumblebee, Katana, and Wonder Woman in high school. Yay. Um, and this is first volume is called Finals Crisis. Which is which- a, a title that you said has already been used in Tiny Titans. Yep. But it's still funny, and I hope that they continue to use that in every all-ages DC <laughs> title, because it makes me giggle. There's definitely a lot of similarities between this and the Tiny Titans run, which we've recommended in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one thing that you should read this for is the fact that Gorilla Grodd is the vice principal of the school. And Amanda Waller is principal. Uh, but Grodd, you guys, Grodd. Yeah, I know. It, every comic is improved by having Gorilla Grodd in it. Definitely. Um, and so this, this is basically, uh, you know classic high school drama except somebody is kidnapping each of the superhero girls one at a time um and it's like i mean every each sort of main character gets a little story arc and, and gets get a little kidnapped. bit of gets a little <laughs> bit of um character growth and development and i really like in the end spoiler alert guys oh i haven't read it yet oh. don't spoil it okay there's a funny bit though it's fine you're going to reveal who who the killer is who the kidnapper is well well, yeah, because then it's not funny if I don't. <laughs> but fine, I won't. Guys, it's a funny bit at the end. It's funny because no one knows who he is. Funny bits are not worth spoiling. Untrue. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean, if you have an eight-year-old girl in your life who loves comic books um, and loves superheroes, this is great. There's many levels in which this is great. Also, if you have um, a young a young, young person in your life that likes um, Teen Titans Go!, Mm-hmm. I think like Beast Boy is a character in this, and and there's a this is really fun on that, on that level too. Yeah, there's and, a, and it's even a, great, a couple of fun little Starfire bits. It's a great introduction to a lot of the DC characters. Yep. Yeah, um, and it, you know it has it has its very very cutesy voice, but there is some substance in this comic. Absolutely. Um, and it, and it reads just like the episodes watch. And you can see why, like I mean, DC have already said that they think that the superhero girls line is gonna. Um, earn them a billion dollars. Really? And I think, yeah. Well, um, and it already it makes has. me not want to read this. <laughs> it already <laughs> has made them a billion dollars. Something like that. Um, but you can see why. Like, if I was, uh, yeah. You know, I wish that this had been around when I was a little girl. No, I definitely, when I was a little girl, I would have loved this too. Absolutely. Uh, and you've been listening to Serious Issues. <laughs> uh, a weekly comic book podcast recorded live from King's Comics. We are out the back at the moment. Balance our computers on the bin. <laughs> yeah, surrounded by manga and Statues, empty, empty boxes of statues. Yep. Uh, and you can find anything that we talked about at King's Comic, which is 311 Pitt Street. 310 or, Pitt Street. Um, no, it's actually moved across the road now. <laughs> uh, or kingscomics.com. Uh, now, the comics that you should try and get this week, there's a pretty impressive list. There's actually, yeah, we, we were just uh, bragging about what a tiny, tiny week this was. The one coming up is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and on the number one front, we've got uh, the first issue of The Flintstones, Woo! which is the final of the four weird new Hanna-Barbera comics that DC have been putting out. I assume it's going to be really gritty and about like domestic abuse or something oh, like God. that. Oh, God. So, yeah, so far, we, uh, of the three we've heard, we've read, we're only going to continue reading one of them, which is the uh, Future, Future Quest. Quest, which you also get the second issue of this week, which is hey. very exciting. Um, Civil War number two, Kingpin number one, a little mini set in Civil War two. Um, there's a cool only press book called Brick. B-R-I-K that looks like uh, could be fun yeah um, nice we got the second issue of Han Solo the fourth issue of Empress the second issue of Deadpool versus Gambit ooh another issue of Renato Jones the 1% excellent and uh, Image has a massive week finally after we've only had like you know one or two titles each week on the podcast we get about seven this week uh, including a new number one called The Throwaways so mm. lots to look forward to this week guys uh, we will see you next week you can get in touch with us 
by finding us on facebook.com slash serious issues podcast or emailing us serious issues at kingscomics.com uh if you uh have a, if you want to hear more of my voice uh you can do so by looking at my other podcasts on itunes one of them is called hey fam and, and is about pop culture uh this week we're going to be doing a commentary to the ultimate version of batman vs superman which i think is i'm a, just going to listen to that instead of actually watching yeah the movie. I, I, I mean i've had to watch it th- tonight i'm going to do the commentary and watch it for the third time lucky you i didn't even want to watch it the first time uh but there you go you know you, you, everything you do to be successful as a podcaster <laughs> hey fam is the name of that one and then my other podcast about food is called the mitchin love for you to uh, tune out tune in uh, if you like this podcast serious issues the best thing you can do for us is let your friends know about us or let itunes know that you enjoy it by leaving us a review uh you know five stars if you please we've gotten lots of nice reviews in the last few weeks and they always make us happy yeah cool we'll see you next week on another edition of serious issues thanks guys Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.